Welcome back to the Our Maryland Politics and Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Leatherberry. This midterm cycle, Marylanders have been turning out to vote in record numbers. With heated races and a nationally covered governor's race, Maryland voters are flocking to the polls for a number of reasons. While stories about jobs, transportation, and education usually dominate headlines, environmental issues and policy often fall to the wayside. A few weeks ago, the UN released a study that warns drastic action is needed to stave off a, quote, climate catastrophe. As countries around the world work to solve environmental issues, we wanted to find out what Maryland is doing to reverse the effects of global warming and learn more about the intersection of politics and the environment. On today's episode, we speak with Josh Tolkien, Executive Director of the Sierra Club Maryland, to talk about environmental advocacy and considering conservation in Maryland while you're heading to the polls. Um, joining us today to talk about environmental issues is Josh Tolkien, Director of the Sierra Club Maryland Chapter. Thanks so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you. So to start off, what is the Sierra Club? How did the organization come about and what are the main priorities in Maryland? So the Sierra Club is our country's oldest and largest grassroots environmental organization. It was actually started 125 years ago by legendary conservationist John Muir and a bunch of old white men who liked to go hiking up in the mountains. Um, And what happened is they saw uh, the mountains being destroyed and the trees cut down and something that they cared passionately about being impacted um, and started to organize. Um, And it's a long 125-year journey from that first spark of activism to the Sierra Club today. We have over 3 million members and supporters across the country, and we focus on everything from protecting the outdoors to advocating for environmental justice, clean air, and clean water for everyone. But what makes the Sierra Club really unique and really special um, is that we are still a grassroots organization. Um, We're Our vision, our direction, and our action is guided by our volunteer leaders. Um, In Maryland, we have over 70,000 members and supporters. Hundreds of people have roles within the Sierra Club helping to do our political endorsements, leading outings, coming and lobbying with us. So our, our small staff of seven staff people help try to steer the beautiful organizing chaos that is a volunteer organization um, and keep us both effective but also truly grassroots and just in touch with that stuff that makes something, you know, really movement-driven. You said that the Sierra Club was started by hikers. Many people enjoy going outdoors, Mm -hmm. um, being in the woods, being on beaches, wherever. Uh, You would think that protecting the planet would be something that communities would want to work towards and Mm -hmm. maintain. Why do you think there's so much opposition? Have you seen any hopeful changes? Mm, That's a great question. So our motto is to enjoy, explore, and protect the planet. And the Sierra Club believes that people get motivated to protect the planet when they experience it, when they enjoy it, when they engage with it. Um, There's always been a strong spark for local organizing and local protection. People get most excited when the forest near their house um, is being threatened or the stream near them. It's issues like global warming where the cause and effect can be disconnected that are really tough because it's not just personal. You can't always see it. It's a little bit intellectual. You have to believe me that there are invisible um, elements coming out of the tailgate of your car 
that are causing the planet to warm that are leading to more severe hurricanes that are impacting somebody halfway across the planet. Um, what we found is it's not sharing the full intergovernmental panel and climate change report and convincing people and making them take, you know, a 20-hour seminar. It's finding one good concrete example that somebody can relate to. Some people have been impacted by wildfires. They know the devastation they can cause. And one conversation letting them know something pretty obvious, which is a warmer planet will have more wildfires, that can sometimes be the spark for somebody. And the same is true for people who have lived in a coastal area and have experienced sea level rise or severe weather. Um, doing that at um, a global level, that's tough. Um, so one of the challenges that we constantly face is pointing to examples like the severe hurricanes and saying to people, this is what global warming will look like, without getting into a debate about whether or not it's global warming caused that specific hurricane. The other thing we know <laughs> that is sometimes a fallacy of our political dialogue is you don't actually need 100% of society with you to make change. Most people have an opinion, it's just not a very strong opinion. So the other thing we know is you have to find the people who are passionate and get them involved because not everyone who cares about global warming knows what they can do here in Maryland to actually make a difference. So the other part of our job is not just convincing the general public, it's activating those people who are passionate and bringing them together. And that kind of gets into my next question. Of course, some new climate change findings came out. The UN released a report um, saying that we actually have less time to <laughs> correct climate change than initially thought. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about these findings and how the Sierra Club's work in Maryland may be influenced by them? Well, the findings are, are rather terrifying. They suggest that the Earth is warming faster than we thought, that the severe impacts that we're always talking about happening someday are already happening and will be happening soon, um, and that this window of action that we have, and to explain the window of action, um, there's a point at which the feedback mechanisms of the Earth will basically take over. The ice caps melt, um, the ocean has less ability to absorb CO2, um, so there is a slippery slope, a snowball effect. We can't just wait 20, 30 years and slow down. We have a window where we can take action, and if we don't take action during that window, things are going to get really, really, really bad. Here's the challenge. Uh, this type of information is going to be really motivating to people who are somewhat familiar with climate change, or at least persuaded in that arena. It could be really influential with policymakers. I think that we anticipate using this information to motivate our base and to go to policymakers and say, this is the time for us to talk about real solutions. Not partial solutions, not baby steps, not small incremental steps, but that the scale of this problem, the severity, the urgency, it requires us to ask for everything that we want and talk realistically about it. We don't want to be out there asking for half solutions. As for the general public, I'm not sure. I think that the the headlines and the stories, every time we have a new wave of information and a new story, we see the number of people concerned about climate change 
when the pulling comes out, it pops up. Like around the inconvenient truth, around uh, a lot of media, around the push for passing a climate bill. We saw the percentage of the public that was aware of climate change, believed that it was caused by humans, wanted to take action. It, you know, will go up, you know, from 45 to 50, 55 to 60 percent. And then interestingly, if there's some disinformation campaign, it will pop back down again. So the national averages and the state averages are really tough. Um, I personally am not sure if you haven't been convinced that climate change was a problem, whether or not this study is somehow going to push push Joe public or Jane public over the edge. I'm just generally not sure. There's, um, you know, we always think about there's a percentage of the people who are totally with you, a percentage of the people who are against you or disagree or aren't winnable, and then there's the persuadable middle. So I think there's a large group of people who either we can't convince to, um, either they can't be convinced that climate change is a problem or at least they're not likely to be convinced by the Sierra Club, but there are people small percentage of people, people who maybe recently became parents and are thinking about the future of their children, um, parents, teachers, doctors, people who will see that study and just be terrified and want to know what to do. And we're already getting emails and questions and calls from people saying, I read the study, what can I do? So what does it mean for me? It means maybe our lobby day will be... 500, 600 people. It means maybe when we try to schedule those meetings with legislators to show a legislator the people in their community that are passionate about this issue, that we can bring out 20, 30, 40, 50 people um, and really demonstrate to them the level of concern in their community. That's what I'm hoping it translates into is concrete action. And speaking of the legislature, of course... Is there any key legislation that the Sierra Club fought for last session? Mm-hmm. Um, what are your plans and priorities for 2019? So uh, one of our top priorities um, is passing legislation to set a strong goal to get Maryland on the path to 100% clean energy. Um, Maryland still relies on power from six old coal-fired power plants built in the 50s and the 60s. These power plants couple surrounding uh, Baltimore, Anne Arundel County, one in Southern Maryland, one in Prince George's, one in Montgomery. Um, these power plants are putting out not just carbon dioxide, they're putting out sulfur dioxide and nitrogen, which causes smog. We had our first code red smog day in 10 years this last year. And most people don't realize that our region is still in violation of the Clean Air Act for smog. We are breathing dirty air, all of us, from uh, northern part of Baltimore County all the way down through Richmond, Virginia. This whole region has really poor air quality. Um, so it's not just about switching to clean energy. It's also about um, phasing out our reliance on these forms of energy, which are harming our health and impacting our communities. We need to do that in a just way. So we're looking at legislation that would put Maryland on the path to clean energy, but would also um, be thinking about the communities and the workers, which have been reliant on these plants and making sure that um, there is what is known as a just transition, whether it's uh, worker training or a timed phase out, and just being really intentional about the impact of these plants, but also saying we need to be just as intentional about the millions and billions of people that are being impacted by climate change and 
urgently, urgently get off of coal and gas and these other polluting technologies. So getting rid of those polluting technologies, I think, would fall into the category of conservation. Mm-hmm. I noticed on the website you all have things called conservation campaigns. Yes. Um, what are those? What are the current campaigns, and why are they important to Marylanders? First, a little bit about how Sierra Club's structured. Um, we try to organize our efforts around teams of volunteers. It's how we stay connected Um, So we have teams of volunteers working on tons of different issues. Um, Our transportation team is focused on reducing harmful air pollution, including carbon dioxide from transportation. Right now we are fighting against the proposed expansion of I-495 and 270 and pushing for um, expanded use of the MARC train, better funded uh, metro, bus rapid transit, We are talking, we're having great conversations with people all over Maryland about how we can plan development in a way that gives people access to walking and biking, safe walking and biking, um, and mass transit so that people can get to their jobs quickly and effectively. Um, We have our energy and coal campaign that I mentioned earlier. We also have um, our Beyond Gas Committee that is... Um, focused on how to stop the rush towards uh, natural gas in Maryland. Most people would be surprised to hear that even though Maryland banned the use of fracking or hydraulic fracturing, which is a way of drilling for natural gas by injecting mix of chemicals into the ground to push the gas back out, Maryland banned fracking, um, but the state is actually moving towards importing a bunch of fracked gas from other states. We actually have a pipeline that's being proposed from Pennsylvania that would run through Maryland and under the Potomac River into West Virginia, um, as well as some new pipelines on the eastern shore, and then what's known as compressor stations to keep the pipelines pressurized. So we're looking at as much as $100 million of investment in new infrastructure in Maryland. And the question that we're asking ourselves and trying to ask the state is, how can we be How can we say we're moving towards clean, renewable energy when we're investing in this new technology and this infrastructure that is going to last for decades? Because once you build these plants, people talk about the investments and the upfront costs, and they want to get 20, 30, 40, 50 years out of it. So each of these teams tends to operate and engage other volunteers, and our staff will pull everybody together really in the next month or so after the election and say, which of these teams has a piece of legislation that is ready and actionable? And that's when we will go to the legislature and, and find sponsors or find bills that we want to support and begin to organize everybody together. So part of what we do is we have these different teams, but we try to lift up a few of those priorities and then push them out to all of our membership and say, this year, we're all going to work together on these three. So everyone's got their own personal priority. But we can't win these fights if everybody is running around on a million different issues. So we do try to have a process of asking everyone to also come together around a smaller set of priorities each year so we can build and sort of pool our power together. Um, We have a new public health committee um, that is looking at sort of the intersection of environment and public health. We've been looking 
a lot at uh, synthetic turf playing fields, which some people may have experienced get extremely hot um, in the summer. Some people have uh, noticed temperatures, taken pictures as high as 135 degrees. Um, and uh, those little bits of crumb rubber that you see um, after severe weather like we had, we're seeing those in the rivers and in the water. They're, they're ground up rubber tires. It's not a great thing for the environment. And also just looking at pesticide use. That's not all, but most of our conservation campaigns. Many of the issues you mentioned are the same issues that come up in election years, highway expansion, mass transit, recently fracking, offshore drilling. Is the Sierra Club involved in the race for governor of Maryland? Um, if so, what can you tell us about the environmental platforms of Governor Larry Hogan and candidate Vangelis? Absolutely. Sierra Club is a big, complex organization. For those people who are interested, uh, the Sierra Club is a 501c4 organization. It's a uh, nonprofit organization, but uh, donations to us are not tax deductible. We have a um, the Sierra Club Foundation, which is our sister organization, which does our public education campaigns. Um, and then we do have a PAC, and the Sierra Club does endorsements and political work. So I'm happy to talk about that, but I should note most of what I mentioned earlier falls under the umbrella of our 501c3 and 501c4 public education and advocacy work. Um, that being said, I do also supervise some of our political work. Um, Sierra Club conducted, uh, put out a questionnaire um, for all of the state-level offices, attorney general, comptroller, as well as all state senators and delegates, as well as the governor, and invited people to submit a questionnaire. Um, and then we ultimately do interviews to learn about people's environmental positions. Um, uh, unfortunately, this year, Governor Larry Hogan did not submit a questionnaire um, or respond to uh, an invitation for an interview, um, so was not eligible for an endorsement because we actually need to have people be able to engage in a conversation. Um, so I can't speak to his particular ideas and vision except what I've seen on the website, um, but I can speak to his track record, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but Sierra Club has proudly endorsed Ben Jealous for governor. Um, very early in the campaign, even before the campaign, he has been outspoken on the importance of being um, bold in environmental protection. He um, comes at the issue from an environmental justice lens, looking at the disproportionate impact of um, these issues on low-income people and people of color, and was active in creating the first environmental justice program at the NAACP. So when he began to campaign in Maryland, he did come out in favor of the fracking ban. He's been pushing for 100% clean renewable energy and talking about urgently restoring the bay, um, largely because of the impact that clean energy will have in um, protecting our communities from harmful air pollution and creating good-paying jobs because of the importance that the Chesapeake Bay plays to our economy and those who use it for subsistence fishing, um, recreational activities. Um, the biggest contrast we've seen is that Larry Hogan has a decent environmental platform um, and he talks a decent talk. He is, as many people say, not that bad. He acknowledges climate change and has passed a bill 
to um, set a goal for Maryland in reducing its greenhouse gas pollution. Um, he has acknowledged the importance of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, it's the details um, where his record does not match his rhetoric. Um, he has delayed several times um, actions that would actually clean up Maryland's coal-fired power plants. He pushed back on recommendations and even vetoed a bill to increase Maryland's renewable energy goal. Um, he delayed the implementation of several programs which would have reduced pollution from the Chesapeake Bay. He delayed a program to implement higher standards for septic systems. He delayed a bill that would have restricted people dumping manure on farms in the middle of winter, which can lead to more runoff into the bay. Um, so what we've seen from Ben Jealous is um, a willingness to ask for and fight for what we need. He's pledged to a hundred push for a hundred percent clean renewable energy. He has pledged for an aggressive pursuit of restoring the bay. Um, and that is the type of clarity of vision that Sierra Club and our members are looking for. At this moment in time, Yes, it's politically important to compromise. We do not want a country that is angry and eating itself alive. But as an advocacy group, we believe you need to start with a clear vision of what you want and where you're going to go. So I have no problem with an elected official being pragmatic, but before they're pragmatic, I want to know what they care about. Um, and what we heard from Larry Hogan was a maybe passionate dedication to moderation. And what we heard from Ben Jealous was an actual dedication to trying to solve these issues. And he gave us um, a platform and something that we have been rallying around. Um, and Sierra Club members have been out knocking on doors in districts across the state, talking to people about Ben Jealous, but really talking to people about why we need to be setting the bar high. Why not that bad is not good enough when we've got less than 10 years to reverse the trend of global warming. You mentioned knocking on doors. Uh, could you talk a bit about the tactics that this year club uses to reach out to the public, to businesses, to government officials, and let our listeners know how they could get involved if they wanted to? Sure. So the first thing that we do is we educate our members because they're our base. Um, so we started last year um, with a series of phone calls and webinars and town hall meetings talking to people about the state of different environmental issues and the importance of the gubernatorial election and began to sign people up as volunteers uh, more than a year ago um, and got several hundred people to sign up who are interested at the intersection of politics and the environment. Um, do a bunch of phone banking, find the active people, so then you got your base. The question is what do you do with it? Um, and usually there's two things you can do. One is you can knock on the doors of um, people are, who are persuadable. Those are often people who are registered to vote, but maybe they miss an election. So they're not your regular four by four voters, which means they voted in the last four elections, including the midterms. Um, the other thing we do is sometimes just get out into the general public. So we'll just knock on the doors of people in a, in a community or businesses. We usually do that to talk about local issues. So that type of, sort of undirected canvassing will save for, for issue education. Um, Sierra Club is investing in um, 
you know, key races across the state, um, and our work is concentrated in Frederick, Anne Arundel County, Baltimore County, and Charles County. Um, and our goal actually though is to get volunteers from everywhere. Um, so if your elected officials in Montgomery County are already great and you want to help out, yes, you can jump in a car. It's not that far. So you mentioned knocking on doors. Um, how does the Sierra Club reach out to um, state local governments, individuals, businesses, and how can our listeners get involved with the Sierra Club and learn more about environmental advocacy in Maryland? Great. Well, let's start with uh, the issue of getting involved. Um, the best way to get involved is to come out to an event. Um, you can check out our calendar. Um, it's sierraclub.org slash Maryland slash calendar. And we put everything from our hiking and our outings to our political canvases on there. You get to see everything that Sierra Club is all about. Um, you can also just send an email to volunteer at mdsierra.org. That's mdsierra.org. Um, that's the easiest and quickest way to get involved. Um, outside of the election process, what we do is we have local groups across the state. Um, Anne Arundel Group, Prince George's Group, our Greater Baltimore Group, um, and those groups um, focus on local issues, and they also help bring the state-level issues, whether it's clean energy or restoring the Chesapeake Bay, and they are the lobby corps. They are the voice of Sierra Club in that county. So if you've ever wanted to engage with your elected official, learn how to have influence. If you've ever felt frustrated that you think big companies or PACs or other people have more power than you, we ask you, please come join us to show more power when we sit down with these elected officials. So we will actually work with a group, even just two to three people, to set up a meeting with an elected official and talk to them about what folks care about. You don't need to be an expert. In fact, a lot of people will say, well, I'm not a scientist. When we say, well, I'm not a scientist either, but I am a voting constituent, and here's what I care about. And we tell people, your voice in those meetings at the state level still really matter. Maybe federal politics is different, but in Maryland, a lot of politics is still retail. It's grassroots. These are legislators who often respond to their own emails and answer their own phones. And between sessions, sometimes their phones are their own cell phones. So a lot of people don't realize how accessible um, and responsive local elected officials are. Um, and part of what we do is we bridge that gap. So um, we will call elected official up and schedule a meeting at a, um, sometimes even at a coffee shop, and then we'll invite five to ten of our members to come and just talk to them about what they care about. And every once in a while, you see that meeting leading that elected official to change their vote and sometimes even introduce a new bill just from a compelling conversation like that. So one other thing I wanted to mention, um, when I tell people about the Sierra Club, I often tell them that Sierra Club was started 125 years ago by a group of old white men who like to hike in the woods. Um, and I say that so we can be open and transparent about our history. Sierra Club is a phenomenal organization, but it did start um, from a place of privilege of people who had the, the means and the capacity to spend time hiking in the woods 125 years ago, the same time that 
a lot of people were struggling with some very significant forms of, of oppression, a time when women in this country didn't have the right to vote. Um, we're an organization that is in evolution, and we've recently adopted really strong principles focusing on equity and justice. Um, and we're trying to root more of our work. Um, we're a group that has a lot of policy wonks, and we'd love to dive right into the numbers. We want to make sure that if we tell you about air pollution in this area, we can tell you that, you know, parts per million of the particles. But we also want to be a group that is looking more at how the environment is impacting people personally and focusing more on lifting up the voices of those who are actually impacted rather than just the scientists who are studying those people who are impacted. Um, and so in all of the issues that I was talking about earlier, um, in all of those issues, we are sort of leaning into the stress of being a mostly white organization that understands that environmental issues disproportionately impact people of color and what that means and how we can do a better job at being a real grassroots community group. Like I said, I am so proud of the Sierra Club and what we are, but we also know we can be and we must be, we need to be so much better because if we want to have a movement that is strong enough to deal with climate change, we need to be a different type of movement than we are today. We need to be a bigger, more representative, more diverse movement. And at Sierra Club, we think that part of that involves sort of looking back at ourselves and how we operate. It's infused into everything that Sierra Club does is to ask these questions about justice and also ask ourselves how we can be better at how we do our work. Well, here's to being better at our work <laughs> across the board. Thanks again, Josh. Thank you. That was Josh Tolkien, Executive Director of the Sierra Club Maryland Chapter. For more information, visit sierraclub.org Maryland. We'll be back after Election Day to talk with progressive leaders about the results and where the progressive movement is heading in Maryland. As always, thanks for listening to the Politics and Policy Podcast. See you next time. (music) 